Welcome to InBeta. I'm Charles Bradley, GBD's Executive Director. One of the key tools we have against the COVID-19 pandemic is contact tracing. Finding out who's been in contact with an infected person and encouraging them to get tested and quarantined. Contact tracing isn't exactly a new concept. Um, it's been a feature of public health for decades. But many states are now asking their citizens to download specifically created contact tracing mobile phone apps, which use location data to map infection patterns and alert people when they've been in contact with an affected person. This has unsurprisingly proved controversial and raised many potential concerns from a human rights perspective. On today's show, I want to take a closer look at the emerging debate around contact tracing apps and human rights and find out what's happening on the ground. And to talk it through with me, I'm delighted to welcome Sharon Bradford-Franklin, the Policy Director at New America's Open Technology Institute. Sharon has co-written a report that's just come out on the issue called Digital Tools for COVID-19 Contact Tracing, Identifying and Mitigating the Equity, Privacy and Civil Liberties Concerns. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great. Um, It'd be fantastic if you could introduce yourself for our listeners. Sure. I'm Sharon Bradford Franklin. I'm an attorney here in the United States, and I serve as policy director at New America's Open Technology Institute, which is a think tank and digital rights organization. Absolutely. We've been doing some fantastic work with you and the team over the the years. So thanks so much for joining us. Um, Happy to do so. We've, uh, as we said in the introduction, um, you've just released this uh, new report um, on uh, digital tools for COVID-19 contact tracing. Um, I'd love you to sort of give our listeners a bit of an overview of what uh, the report sort of looks at and its recommendations and potentially sort of why policymakers should be paying attention to it. Sure. So back in April, New America signed on to the Roadmap to Pandemic Resilience, released by Harvard Safra Center, uh, which is a comprehensive uh, report uh, that recommends a system of testing, contact tracing, and supported isolation. And so a team of us from New America then worked with the Safra Center to develop this white paper that we released last week. And it further explores the contact tracing aspect of these pandemic response plans. Our paper is titled Digital Tools for COVID-19 Contact Tracing, Identifying and Mitigating the Equity, Privacy, and Civil Liberties Concerns. And in the paper, we first describe the process of traditional or manual contact tracing, and then explain how, given the tremendous scale of the current coronavirus pandemic and its rapid spread, digital tools may be able to play some role in supplementing traditional techniques, but only if we implement robust safeguards to govern their use. So our paper focuses on the United States context, but it also draws on the experience of other countries. And I just want to briefly describe the four parts of the paper. First, we describe contact tracing and the digital tools that provide the best promise in terms of both efficacy and protecting rights. And these are apps that are based on Bluetooth technology that people would download voluntarily. Basically, the apps send out anonymous Bluetooth signals or beacons that are detected by other smartphones using the same app. Then, whenever an app user tests positive for coronavirus, they notify the public health authority that offers the app, and that authority could then denote this in the app 
so that the app can alert all the other phones that detected a signal from the infected person's phone within the past 14 days. So these apps measure people's proximity to each other rather than tracking their precise locations, which is both more effective for supporting contact tracing and less privacy invasive. Second, we describe the intertwined equity and effectiveness issues that are presented by these digital tools. Just to very briefly summarize, we outline concerns that these digital tools will not reach various communities that are also most at risk for coronavirus in the first place, including minority communities, low income, and elderly people. And we outline how this lack of reach will also have a negative impact on the effectiveness of the apps to assist in contact tracing. The third part of the paper explores the privacy threats that use of these digital tools raise. And in particular, we focus on concerns about improper secondary use of data that is being gathered for public health purposes and on cybersecurity risks. And then the final section of the paper includes a series of recommendations, uh, first for policymakers, and then further recommendations for platforms and app designers, all designed to mitigate the risks that we have outlined. And these include specifically for US policymakers that our Congress should enact long overdue comprehensive privacy legislation and take steps to close the digital divide. And for platforms and app developers, our recommendations include that digital contact tracing tools should be decentralized, that notifications to users should provide only the minimum amount of information necessary, and that app designers should partner with local communities to ensure that apps are designed to meet community needs. Absolutely. And super interesting to bring all those um, points together as, as, as you have. I think one thing that uh, I've been particularly interested in in, in this uh, report and some other uh, sort of writings about um, contact tracing has been this uh, sort of efficacy uh, sort of uh, question. And from a human rights uh, perspective, we always look at sort of the proportionality of any response to, to meet you know a pressing need. And some of the challenges that, you know, You've, you've represented there and have been talked about are the sort of, you know, is this actually going to meet that need and is there actually, is it going to solve a, an actual problem rather than just all the risks that we've, we've talked about? Um, some of the contact tracing apps uh, have fallen short of sort of expectations. Like in France, for example, it was reported that there are only 14 alerts um, that had been sent through the, through the actual system um, in, the, in the early days of it. Um, is it possible that, they, these actually contact tracing apps around the world might be shelved for efficacy reasons um, rather than the, the, the broader sort of human rights concerns that, we, that we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. That's possible that efficacy problems will lead to an abandonment of these apps. Um, but I want to make, if I may, uh, three points about the efficacy issues that you've just raised. Mm. First, the issue of efficacy is highly correlated with issues of equity. Uh, in order for the apps to be effective, they have to be downloaded and used by large percentages of a population. And many people simply do not own smartphones or have the digital literacy that's necessary to operate an exposure notification app. Um, and in the United States, this is particularly true, of course, of minority communities, low income and elderly populations, which uh, correlate with the populations that are hardest hit by coronavirus in the first place. Second, I want to push back on the narrative by some that it is the privacy safeguards associated with some apps that make them less effective. 
In fact, one of the biggest barriers to efficacy is low adoption rates. So where people actually have the smartphones, but they simply refuse to download or use an app. And incorporating robust privacy safeguards can actually help public health authorities to build public trust, which is critical to improving adoption rates. And with regard to the example of France that you mentioned, we actually note in our paper that France's app that had so few downloads and alerts is a centralized system where all the data feeds into a centralized government database. But by contrast, in Germany, where they adopted ultimately a more privacy-protective decentralized system where the data is stored on each device, they've actually had far greater public confidence and five times as many people downloaded the app. The third point I just want to make about efficacy is it is important to be realistic about what it would mean for an app to be effective. No one should be turning to any digital tool for a full contact tracing system. Uh, as we emphasize in our paper, digital tools can augment traditional manual contact tracing efforts to help jurisdictions address the vast scale of this pandemic. Uh, and particularly with regard to the equity issues that I mentioned, it's critical that governments develop strategies, including increased manual contact tracing, to really reach um, people who are not otherwise being reached, including marginalized communities. Absolutely, and I think in, in, in the in the UK, we've um, you know we, we we were following the. Um, the debate here and looking at the sort of the download uh, sort of numbers and the, the number of people that would need to be using uh, a contact tracing app for it to solve or, or to, to, to prove uh, useful uh, from, from an epidemiological perspective. And um, the, the numbers were more people with, would have to download this app than, than have already downloaded WhatsApp, for example. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, that, that, that barrier is just so, so high. And then, you, you know, you brought together in, in those points, you know, real reasons of why that might be the case of why you wouldn't have those, those, those downloads um, uh, and, and uses, uses of the actual app itself. Um, one thing I was interested in was um, actually sort of thinking about sort of building technology during a global health pandemic and all the risks um, that have not been sort of you know thought through because we're trying to respond to this you know particular sort of emergency and and and, and urgent need versus the longer term um, sort of role that technologies like this could play if and when there are future sort of global sort of um, health pandemics as well. Um, does your paper talk to uh, um, some of the longer term? Uh, sort of solutions that would be necessary or things that could be put in place uh, as and when uh, there's a need for these types of technologies to augment offline solutions in in the future as well as just during uh, the COVID-19 health pandemic? Sure. So our white paper really focuses in particular on the use of digital exposure notification apps that rely on Bluetooth technology. And if our recommendations are followed, and the implementation of these apps includes robust safeguards, they don't necessarily pose significant privacy risks. However, we are doing a lot more thinking, and we are certainly concerned that many governments are seeking broad-scale collection of various types of data in the name of combating this pandemic. And this has included uh, health-related information of all sorts, location information, credit card data, and, and more. So there is a real risk that governments will seek to use this pandemic as a justification to permanently expand intrusive surveillance programs. In the United States, we've seen this happen in the past with the USA Patriot Act that was passed shortly after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. That statute, as uh, I'm sure your listeners are aware, 
vastly expanded the U.S. government surveillance powers, and we are still working to this day to try and reform U.S. surveillance law and rein in some of those authorities. Now, with a pandemic, unlike the threat of terrorism, I hope that there will soon come a time when governments will be able to say that the pandemic threat has subsided so that we can end any kind of surveillance regime. But we really need to be vigilant to ensure that new surveillance measures are time-limited and actually end. Absolutely. And in the, in the U.S. context, just for, for non-U.S. listeners, where, where are we at with uh, uh, you know, deployment of contact tracing technology? Um, like, uh, yeah, what sort of time frame are we talking about? Are there specific decisions or moments that we're looking at coming down the line? So in the U.S., it's really on a state-by-state basis, and different states are doing uh, different things and taking different approaches. And now, um, you know, one thing we have, which is not only for the U.S., of course, they're marketing it elsewhere, is we have the um, Apple-Google partnership to offer the interoperable API to allow app developers to then, um, you know, offer provide apps through public health authorities in different states. And that regime has incorporated a number of the privacy safeguards that we also recommend in our paper. But it really is right now a patchwork in the U.S. And uh, many states are still working on uh, what they will uh, end up offering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Very interesting when you have this uh, global health pandemic and these, you know, nation state and then in, in the U.S. situation sort of state uh, solutions which often would need to sort of uh, be more integrated for it to sort of provide some of the the the, the data and, and interoperability that, that is needed from from that perspective. Um, I wonder what you thought about sort of what human rights defenders sort of could and should be doing uh, in in response uh, to the risks posed by contact tracing apps. I wonder whether you had any thoughts on um, what our listeners or other people uh, sort of engaging in these issues should be focusing on. Uh, in, in, in this debate? Sure. So I'll first put in the plug that they should read our paper and <laughs> join in advocating for our recommendations. Um, but more specifically, I'll, I'll, I'll flag a few things. So uh, first, where governments are turning to contact tracing apps, human rights advocates should press for the use of voluntary, decentralized Bluetooth apps that incorporate robust privacy safeguards. So this includes avoiding the collection of location information um, as opposed to the proximity information provided by Bluetooth, ensuring that the the beacon data sent out by these apps is stored securely on individuals' devices rather than a centralized uh, government database. Second, human rights defenders should press for sunset dates or dates or times when these programs will actually lapse and the data must be deleted. These new systems that are collecting data on individuals to assist with the pandemic response need to be tied to the pandemic. And when it finally subsides, the data collection must end. And while governments may want to continue to store aggregate data for research purposes, they should not retain data on specific individuals after the end of the pandemic. And finally, I would urge that human rights defenders should also urge public health officials to ensure that marginalized communities are not left behind, including taking steps to ramp up traditional manual contact tracing efforts to ensure that we reach uh, these populations. Absolutely. Three really 
clear and concise and, and very actionable um, points to, to end this on. So Sharon, thank you so much. And, and definitely for our listeners, we'll be uh, dropping a link of the white paper below the podcast and making sure that uh, people do read this, this fantastic work. Um, Sharon, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's all we've got time for today. Um, thanks so much for joining us. And I hope you get to enjoy the great work that we've highlighted in this podcast. Until next time, goodbye.